Hello, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Kale Guthrie Weissman, and today we're talking with Jimmy Wu, the co-founder of Cat Person. Cat Person is a cat food and cat toy and cat everything brand, which just launched and has been seeing some really strong sales and some interesting metrics. I'm really excited to talk about the general pet food space, the CPG space, and how this all just got completely changed because everyone's buying everything online. Hey, Jimmy, thanks so much for joining. Yeah, no, it's great to be here. So uh, you and I have talked a little bit before, but why don't you just sort of give a quick background on what Cat Person is, sort of how you how you started it, where you see it going, all that jazz. Yeah, no, super excited to chat about Cat Person. You know, at its core, Cat Person is really this new brand that we launched to focus on putting cats and cat people first. And, you know, where it really started was with my co-founder, Lambert, and myself, we're, we're both cat people. Um, you know, I think you're a new cat dad as well. So I am. Ho- I have ho- two ho- new kittens. Oh, wonderful. So ho- hopefully, like, you've had a similar experience is, you know, as cat people, what we realized is we live in a really dog-centric world. Um, and it's really surprising that that's the case because there actually are more cats in the U.S. than dogs, 94 million cats, 89 million dogs, but you wouldn't think it, right? And we realized, you know, as, as cat people, the experience being a cat parent actually wasn't ideal and it wasn't optimal. You know, when you walk into a cat store or a, a pet store, oftentimes it feels like you walked into a dog store. You know, most of the inventory there is for dogs. Most of the aisles are really about dog stuff. And it's not until you get to the back of the store that you find the cat stuff. And when you get there, it's not the best experience. You know, when it comes to food, it's super cluttered. It's hard to figure out what's what and what's actually good and healthy to feed to your cat. When it comes to products, a lot of the products out there really aren't designed for cats' needs and minds. You know, if you wanted to buy a cat bed today, more often than not, you probably end up just buying a dog bed because that's what's available because no one's really thought of cats. Or, you know, even if you do find products that are designed for cats, take a cat tree as an example. Clearly, a dog's not going to climb up on, on a cat tree. But these are products that, yeah, are designed for cats, but aren't designed for people in mind. It's these hideous brown carpeted monstrosities. And if you're a modern cat parent, you actually don't feel great about putting that into your home, into your apartment that probably has a more modern aesthetic and modern decor. And then on top of that, beyond just food and products, you know, we also felt like being a cat parent within culture and society wasn't the best experience either. You know, cat people, I mean, let's call for what it is. There's a stereotype and a stigma of who cat people are. And (laughs) We actually felt like that was really far from the truth, whether it was for ourselves or other cat people that we knew. um, It just didn't fit the stereotype. So we thought there was an opportunity to really do better, to create brand and develop products that really put both cats and cat people at the forefront and really just help to make their lives better and help to celebrate the, the relationship people have with their cats and the diversity of the different types of cat people that are out there. Mm-hmm. So you you have cat food and you have a few cat products as well. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So we essentially have a line of essentials that are designed for both cats and cat people in mind. It starts with food because, you know, that's core to keeping your cat healthy. And if your cat's healthy, they are happier. And if they're happier, you just have a better life with them. So it starts with food, both wet food, dry food, as well as a lineup of treats. And then we also have a lineup of goods, uh, which includes cat beds, uh, cat bowls, as well as cat toys. Mm -hmm. So what was 
what what is your your plan for growth? You're, you know, right now you're online only. You launched in March, is that correct? We launched March, March 24th. So we're about 11 weeks in at this wow. point. Wow, that's crazy. Um, yeah, and launched in the middle of a pandemic too, which is something that, that we never expected to do. <laughs> did you think about delaying the launch? Sort of like what, what made... How did you approach that? Yeah, you know, it was a, it, it was an interesting decision for us. Um, you know, I probably want to go back a ways. We, we've been working on this for quite a while because we always felt there was this big opportunity out there in the marketplace. And originally, we were planning to launch in late 2019. Mm. Um, this was obviously before COVID, and, and as was as with many things with launch, you know, sometimes things take a little bit longer. And we wanted to make sure that when we launched, we had the best experience that we could possibly offer for cat parents out there. So at that point, we had decided to push the launch out into early 2020, so around February or March of 2020. And things were looking great for launch. You know, we had all of our products developed. We had products in our warehouses ready to ship out. Our website was ready to go. We had started developing our launch marketing campaign. And then, um, you know, things started to change out in the environment. And I think it's, as we look back, it's it's a little bit easier to realize now. But at that time, it wasn't like this instantaneous moment of realizing there was a fundamental shift of something that's happening out there. It was sort of slowly creeping up. And then it felt like all of a sudden, sometime in late February, early March, things accelerated really quickly. You know, I think as we started to see the impact of COVID accelerate exponentially uh, in terms of deaths, in terms of um, diagnosed cases, it really felt like there was a shift and we started to see consumer behavior shift. So we had a lot of conversations around it. And, you know, on one hand, you know, we were concerned about, um, what was happening and whether this was a right time to launch or not. You know, consumer behavior is fundamentally shifting. Things were starting to shut down. Um, But on the other hand, um, I think we were also encouraged by what we felt were underlying trends in the category and and things that were going to bode well for us. I think in some sense, we felt we were relatively lucky if we were in another category, another industry, if we were, you know, selling travel accessories, if we were selling luxury fashion, we probably would have made a, a, a different decision and a much harder decision. Um, but as we started working from home, our team and a lot, of, a lot of the folks in our team have cats. Um, I think similar to a lot of other cat parents, we started to realize we were actually spending more time at home and we were spending more time with our cats at home. And that just took that relationship to a different level. There was more interaction. There were more moments where you wanted to connect and bond with your cat. And it felt like this actually was a good moment for us to launch that people actually needed uh, a service and products to help them better connect and uh, to have a better relationship and better interaction with their cat. So we decided to push forward with the launch at that point. Interesting. So out of curiosity, so when you launch, there are some really interesting dynamics going on, and I think that they probably, they definitely are very different from when a usual new company launches and they use those first few weeks and months to gather data about who their core customer is. I imagine that when you first launched, there were shifting behavioral and shopping patterns, and there were also people panic shopping and unable to get goods and were looking for online sources. So, you know, actually, I can speak from experience. It, I didn't want to go to the grocery store to get cat food. I didn't want to go to my pet store to get cat food. So I f- tried to find ways to get it online. And I imagine that 
you probably saw an influx of people who turned to your website right as you launched seeing that. How Can you just talk about that dynamic of sort of having people sort of panic shopping, seeking out things when you're just a brand new company and how that impacts how you analyze who your customer is, who your customer is, what the core customer is, and how you forecast that out? Yeah, I, I think that's been super interesting for us because I think one advantage of being a DTC company is we have that direct line of communication with our customers. And um, very early on, we were seeking feedback, whether it was talking directly with our customers, doing surveys, reading a lot of the data that was coming in. I think we also wanted to contextualize it to better understand like how much of this was being driven by the moment mm-hmm. and some of the things that were happening versus what was intrinsic with this business as well. And, and I think for us, we needed to look at both. So on one hand, we wanted to get the feedback and understand how are consumers actually um, enjoying the product and the brand and how are they taking to it? And I think those are more evergreen dynamics, whether or not we had launched in the midst of COVID or not. But we also quickly learned that there were certain things that were performing better than we had expected, whether that was messaging that emphasized convenience and delivery seemed to be resonating really well with consumers. We've also seen certain items in our product portfolio do much better than we expected. Things like toys and treats uh, were selling three to four times the rate of which we had originally projected. And our belief was because people were spending more time with their cats, they were spending more time at home. And I don't know about you, you know, I'm spending a lot of time at home now and it seems like I get up every 20 minutes to go to the pantry and try to grab a snack. And I think there's a similar dynamic happening with cats as they, they think it's feeding time all the time. And, and so we're seeing this dynamic with things like toys and treats. And so we wanted to get that read and we've been getting that feedback and measuring it over time too, to see if any of that is, is changing. Does that, just the fact that you launched when there was an initial anomalous frenzy mess up sort of the conversations you might have with investors or looking at how you're going to grow. So if, you know, more people go back to work or things normalize in a different way where there's less of a demand and it's simply because the world was a different place in March and April than it is now or in the next few months. How, what are those conversations you're having as you're thinking about growing and scaling? Because, you know, it's good to have an initial blip that goes right up, but then if that goes down, that's not good for an e-commerce company. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think the tough part right now is it's incredibly hard to predict anything. Yeah, um, It's hard to predict anything because there's so much uncertainty that's happening out there. Certainly, we've gone through a wave. I think the next big question is how how much is the recovery? How quick is the recovery? And yeah. is there any shift to the recovery? You know, is there going to be a second wave? And what would the impact of a second wave be? I think for us, what we've seen is I think the underlying fundamentals are still there and it's just more acceleration of some of the trends that were already happening in the marketplace, mm-hmm. right? Shift, shift from offline retailers to online retailers is a shift that's already been happening and we're seeing an acceleration of that. And I think what we're trying to measure is how much of that is going to stick mm-hmm. versus how much of that was a one-time blip. So we're paying really close attention to customer satisfaction. We're paying really close attention to retention rates. And we're continuing to do that as we're now in a phase where, you know, uh, states and economies are starting to open back up again. Um, Brick and mortar retailers are starting to open up again. Uh, People are venturing out more. We're trying to get a read on whether or not we're continuing to see these trends, whether we think they are permanent shifts or are there temporary shifts. We're also making, I think, very deliberate efforts to make sure that um, 
the benefit that we've gotten from some of the shift that we're able to keep and maintain these customers with, within the business as well. How are you going about that? Like, is that just sort of good messaging? Uh, you know, if it's someone, if it's a, a way, a fair weather customer who is just looking for cat food and then will go back to Petco, what are you doing to keep that customer? Yeah, I think it starts with making sure you fundamentally have a great product as well as a great product experience. Because at the end of the day, you know, whether they shifted to online and they were buying offline before, that's actually probably one of the bigger hurdles. And we've benefited from that. It's incredibly hard to get consumers to actually shift behavior. And there's been this external dynamic that actually has driven people to go online, right? These might have been folks that never would have thought about buying online before in certain categories, but Mm -hmm. um, they felt either compelled to or they felt that they had to. And so I think we've benefited from that. And for us, it's about how do we maintain that momentum with them? And it really starts with, I think, first and foremost, making sure that we've got a great product and a great product experience for them. I think we're also in a category where switching is a little bit more challenging. Um, I don't know if you've seen this with your cats, but like once cats take to a certain food, it's, you know, you don't want to switch them off. So it's been incredibly important for us to make sure that, uh, cats are enjoying our product and our food. And part of the emphasis that we've been putting out there is really helping to educate customers on how do you transition your cat when they switch to new cat food, because that's critical in terms of getting cats to actually take to and to like a new food. So that's been a big focus of ours. And then just continuing to emphasize the the convenience. And, you know, we believe that once they have an experience of the product, once they're a cat's Uh, really take to and enjoy the food and they're starting to see the benefits of their cats eating a healthier food and they see the convenience of having this delivered to their door, um, they're not going to switch and they're going to want to stay on, um, you know, the switch that they've made. Absolutely. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I read an earlier interview uh, when you first launched saying that you don't foresee yourself as always being online only. This is just the first channel you're going to go, go about uh, when you first launched that being DTC. So what is like, what, when you, what is your general plan for growth and scale? What, you know, what was it before you launched? How has it changed now? Uh, yeah, just how do you go about yeah, that? Yeah. I, I don't think our plans have necessarily changed dramatically, dramatically since launch. And I think part of that is because our, our original vision was we didn't see this as launching a DTC company. We saw this as launching a brand to help serve an underserved need that was out there in the marketplace, which is cats and cat people essentially feeling neglected and and not getting what they deserve. So for us, it was really about creating a brand and products that really delivered on that brand promise. And I think ultimately we want to be extremely customer centric and we want to be where our customers are and where they want to find us. And DTC is a great way to start that. It's a great way because we get a direct connection with our customer. We can learn really quickly. We can improve and iterate and build off of that really quickly and build that direct relationship with customers. Absolutely. Uh, does it? Do you think? You know, you, you mentioned earlier that your your brand thesis. What made you realize is that a lot of the pet stores are very dog centric and cats are relegated to the back. You know, if you do do retail partnerships down the line, does that like you you Do you want a a cat person section sort of how do you see it when it is, you know, when it is when the stores are already not designed in the way that you you want them to be? Yeah, I I think that's going to be still a ways ahead for us. But I think 
how we think about it is it still ultimately needs to ladder up to what this brand stands for, which is really putting cats and cat persons at the forefront. So how do you make the experience uh, extremely cat-centric and really designed for people that understand what life with cats is like? I think a great example of that is our packaging. You know, we've designed packaging in a way that I think is extremely um, centric to cats and cat people. You know, you you have cats, you may have seen that more than anything, cats um, love bags and boxes. <laughs> you, you can buy them a $1,000 piece of furniture. You can buy them a $100 toy. And all they want to do is climb in that little box that they can't really fit in and just play around with that, right? And so we actually designed our boxes with a secondary purpose and secondary life in mind of, you know, some of our boxes turns into a, a chalet. Some of it turns into a what we call a cat condo that they can play in. We've got a box that turns into a puzzle piece that um, cats can bat a ball around in. And it's all driven off of this insight that, you know, cat parents know that cats just have this intrinsic relationship with packaging of the boxes. And mm -hmm. we are a brand that truly understands cats because we are cat people as well. And there aren't really brands doing that out there today. And I think we would take that similar type of viewpoint when, if and when we ever went to retail. Absolutely. All right. We're going to take a quick break right now. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. So I'm interested just to know sort of how you approached, you know, in brand development, the, your overall, you know, cat food, cat toys, they're generally CPGs. And I feel like there are a lot of brands that are trying to add sort of a new sort of brand cachet to that. And there's a new playbook, but also, and correct me if I'm wrong, your, your co-founder is an alum of Harry's. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So my co-founder Lambert, uh, worked at Harry's previously and, uh, obviously has a lot of experience in the DTC space, you know, yeah. my background comes from CPG and I've worked at another DTC company as well. So we're really trying to combine those, the insights that we've learned from both of those worlds. So can you talk a little about sort of what like Harry's is, is, you know, long been considered a great example of, you know, a DTC company that, you know, grew to insane heights, sort of what was this sort of the idea you have, you have for cat person, you your you guys were in Harry's lab. What did you learn from there? How did you uh, sort of grow the brand idea while you were there. Talk a little about, you know, the, 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 that early stage. Yeah, Harry's has been a great supporter of ours. They've been a strategic partner and an incubator for us. So I think we've benefited tremendously from their relationship. Obviously, they've built a phenomenal business, both in DTC as well as in retail. And we've learned a lot of lessons from them in terms of the journey that they've been through and the lessons that, um, that they learned along the way. I think for us, how we thought about it was um, we've gotten a lot of I think, guidance and um, perspective from them in terms of how to both build a brand that resonates with consumers as well as also performance in the marketplace. But at the same time, this is a different category. And, and we think the dynamics in this category are a little bit different as well. And so we're trying to meld those two together. Absolutely. Uh, what Can you talk a little about your CPG background? I, I always love to just sort of hear about, you know, a, a, like what you did before. But I think that there's a really interesting narrative going on now with in legacy CPG companies trying to understand e-commerce and 
build up their sort of branding and sort of the reverse happening where you see a lot of brands like yours sort of entering the space and trying to own a specific niche of it. So, you know, what's your background and sort of how has that led to a cat person? Yeah, so I've spent most of my uh, most of my career in CBG and specifically in food. So I was at Kraft Foods previously, as well as Mondelez, uh, maybe better known as Nabisco here in the U.S., working on a number of brands, including uh, Chips Ahoy, Triscuit, Trident. Um, so I've had a lot of experience in both the CBG world and then specifically in the food world, and then moved to a, a DTC company called Freshly, also in the food world, delivering mm-hmm. fresh, uh, fully prepared meals. And so I, I think that the two things... Um, in bringing those worlds together is, on one hand, I think what CBGs have been have done a phenomenal job of over the years is really understanding consumer insights and how to tap into this consumer insights to identify consumer needs and develop products that solve those needs and develop brands uh, that connect with consumers as well. And I think what DTC has done a phenomenal job of is really being able to pull even more data and richness and a direct connection with the consumer and be able to leverage that to help drive performance. And I think for us, it's an opportunity to combine some of the best aspects of both worlds of how do you really leverage the data and that direct connection with consumers uh, from that DTC world? And how do you also do it in a way where you're also effectively building a brand that's really going to resonate with them because it's built off of a true insight and a true need that exists out in the marketplace. Do you think, I mean, I think that what CPGs were doing a year ago is very different to what they're doing now, specifically on the digital front. Sort of what what do you, do? You, it seems that, I don't want to say they were caught flat-footed, but a lot of the, these bigger companies are just so big that they're, they've been unable to sort of grow their own e-commerce presences for for many different reasons. What do you what do you think is going to happen just sort of in that world? And I'd you know in terms of the competitive landscape, like does Friskies have an online website? Like like how how are you approaching that? And like what is the sort of how how do you look at the competitive landscape in terms of the bigger guys? Yeah, I, I think for them one of the challenges within big CPG, and I, I certainly saw this during my time at big CPG, is it's really hard to move quickly. Yeah. Um, there's just an in, there's an existing infrastructure, there's an existing mentality, and it's hard to create that um, aspect of nimbleness and agility and willing to take risks and to try things and to be able to pivot really quickly. And I think that's one of the challenges that CBG will have. I think the other challenge for them is, I think this comes down to taking some risk as well, is you know when you have a big existing brand, it's hard to be able to pivot and to move when you are, when a lot of your sales are in existing retail channels, uh, to be able to branch out into a new channel that you might think of or uh, be concerned of being cannibalistic is incredibly hard. Whereas I think for us, starting from the ground up as a DTC company, um, we don't have a lot of that existing baggage. You know, we can pivot this business quickly if we want to. We're able to take learnings from consumers really quickly. We're able to adapt to that. We're able to iterate and to build off of that. Um, And we don't have to worry about channel conflicts at this point. So I think we're just able to build the business in a much more nimble way and be able able to adapt to the market much more quickly. Do you, you know, a few years down the line, ever foresee yourselves entertaining you know, thoughts of acquisition to be a portfolio brand underneath some of those big players, or do you want to be independent forever? Sort of what's the sort of pathway to growth for you? Yeah, I I think it's pretty open-ended for us right now. I mean, 
be great to be able to get to a point where we have a number of options ahead of us. For now, we're really just focused on how do we build this business and how do we get this brand off the ground and um, create as much optionality for us in the future. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the marketing side of things because uh, yeah. I imagine that you, you know, you launched in a really, you know, interesting cultural health-wise landscape, but also uh, on the digital marketing side, things just completely got upended. So how did you sort of approach, you know, did you, did you, did you jump on the fact that CAC, Google and Facebook, their prices went down and sort of do, do big digital campaigns? How did, how did you go about that? And what, what were sort of the, the learnings you got? Yeah. So you, even I think from the get-go, we had a make a pretty meaningful pivot up front even before launch. You know, we we were sitting here early March at the time and we're working through our launch campaign and we had actually planned on uh, driving a lot of awareness through out of home as well as through oh. event activation in addition to, to online and Facebook mm-hmm. and Google. Um, so it, it was meant to be a broad-based launch and obviously things shifted entirely in the world as we started to see more and more uh, both businesses as well as um, cities and states moving to work from home and shelter in place, uh, that, that changed very quickly. Um, we were actually a, a day away from committing to media oh, wow. uh, to do out of home. Um, and lucky. as we started, uh, <laughs> uh, in, in many respects, I, I, I think we've just been lucky. Um, uh, but also planful at the same time. And, you know, we wanted to maintain a lot of flexibility and agility. So we were uh, planning to buy remnant uh, media at the time that gave us a lot of flexibility. And in retrospect, that we benefited from that a lot of, you know, we were at right at that line of about to make the commitment and we ended up not doing it because as we saw more and more states starting to shut down, more and more people starting to work from home, it, it was pretty clear to us that people were not going to be out and about. Um, and I think the situation got uh, even more extreme than we had even projected or forecasted. So we made that shift um, early on, even before the launch. And we took a lot of that spending and then shifted it online as we started to realize more and more people are going to be spending time at home. And as they're spending time at home, they're spending more time online. Right. And for some businesses, that did make sense because some categories, um, regardless of whether people are spending more time at home, it actually meant they weren't spending time out and about. They weren't spending time traveling. So I think we certainly started to see a benefit of that happening in the in the in the media landscape. And uh, we wanted to take advantage of that. So certainly did in terms of how we shifted our media and also how we shifted our messaging a little bit. We didn't change our core messaging, but we certainly started this shift more emphasis towards delivery and convenience is we started to see um, these shutdowns happening and people not either able to or willing to go out to stores. The benefit of having our products and our service delivered direct to your door, uh, contactless and without having to venture out or without having to venture out to as many stores uh, certainly was a benefit. And, and, and we've seen that as well of, you know, where we've seen, um, I think pockets of strong performance have been uh, in urban markets. Um, these are markets that tended to be, I think, disproportionately impacted by COVID. Um, so we saw strong performance from, from consumers there. We also saw uh, heard a lot of customers that previously had shopped at brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. And that was a, a strong pocket for us as well. And I think a lot of that also came from and people either unable to or 
not wanting to go out or when you did go out and you wanted to pick up your essentials, you didn't want to make multiple stops. And so having the convenience of having an online delivery service certainly benefited us at that point. Mm -hmm. Was the only messaging you changed just in terms of the convenience factor? Uh, did you, did you, you know, add any new creative? How did you sort of, you know, change that around? And did you end up actually saving money? I imagine out of home is really expensive and digital is much cheaper. Did you, did that, did that actually end up having you save money? Yeah, it, it, it's hard to say whether we save money or not. Um, we, we do think media rates came down uh, on, on online media. So mm -hmm. I think we benefited from that, but it's hard to say because we don't, we don't have a, a good comp to compare to since we That's were true. in the market before that. Um, but I think for us, in, in terms of the messaging, like I said, we, we didn't change the core messaging and at the core, especially with cat person food, it's about really reducing the complexity and confusion of foods out there and uh, us offering a, a really healthy, nutritious um, option for you and your cat designed specifically with your cat's needs in mind with high protein and no grains and no fillers. Um, but we supplemented that with more emphasis around delivery and the convenience of being delivered right to your door. Mm -hmm. I've been talking with people about out of home and uh, it seems like slowly it's coming back, though not the same. Uh, one of I, I wrote a story a little bit ago just sort of about how it all got put on pause. And yeah. one of the one of the things that someone mentioned, which I, I feel like fits perfectly within what you do, is that though the one area where it. It changed, but it's actually seeing an interesting new velocity is grocery out of home. And I imagine that uh, is that something I know that you're not available in grocery stores, but have you are you thinking about sort of your placement? Are you going to be doing like outdoor signs or where people are? Are you going to be going back to out of home or ever doing that, that those kinds of ads? Yeah, I, I think it's certainly an option that, that we'll have in the future. I think we want to just continue to monitor what happens as economies open back up and whether people really are venturing out to the to the same level, to the same degree that they were before. Yeah. Um, I think we've seen the same thing with media grocery stores, you know, as a lot of other out-of-home options were shutting down. Yeah. One of the main places consumers were still going was certainly to the grocery store to pick up essentials. Mm -hmm. I think more recently, um, what we've been seeing is billboards, um, starting to pick back up a little bit is people are out driving. They're not taking mass transit. So, you know, subway advertising and bus advertising uh, probably isn't quite there yet. But we want to continue to monitor. I, I think what we're trying to make sure that we understand is, you know, how quick of a return um, do we start to see with consumer behavior and in what areas, right? I think in, on one hand, there's been a fundamental shift. And even though the economy has opened up in some areas and certain businesses are opening back up and certainly does mean I think some people are uh, are out and about more. I think we've also seen maybe a more fundamental, more permanent shift uh, in some sectors, primarily around work from home, or mm -hmm. I think even the next evolution of that is work from anywhere. And so it, we want to continue to see how that changes. I think a lot of folks feel that even when certain businesses, certain business sectors open back up again, especially offices, um, not everyone's going to go back. I, I think it's not going to be a full return until we see a vaccine, whenever that comes. And so um, I think we still want to be cognizant of what does that mean in terms of where are consumers spending their time and what's the best way to reach them. Mm -hmm. You guys are not on Amazon. That's correct, right? Uh, we are not. Correct. Are you, would you, is that... A thought. What are your, what are your thoughts on sort of the Amazon dynamics? It seems like that's probably a big 
piece of the the online uh, pet food pie? Um, it, it, it is, but I think the way we view it is we are trying to build a brand that helps to solve a fundamental problem out there, which is being a cat parent and especially shopping for cat food is a really confusing, cluttered, complex experience. Whether that's walking into a store, whether it's going online to some of these larger e-commerce sites, even shopping for cat food on a site like Amazon or another pet retailer, it's actually still a really confusing and cluttered experience. Um, And what we're trying to do is eliminate a lot of that confusion, eliminate a lot of that work. We've done a lot of the thinking of figuring out what is best to feed your cat. And we're super transparent about what's in our food and trying to explain it to people in a way that makes a lot of sense. And so for us, there's, I think, a lot of value in providing a more curated experience um, and a more transparent experience that we own and we can control and we can just better communicate and message to our consumers. Absolutely. So have have you changed your outlook? You know, you you launched at the beginning of a pandemic. Yeah. A lot of different companies are much more focused on profitability and sustainability. You, you know, your your VC backed, like, so how, how have you, how has your philosophy for building this company changed if it has at all in terms of when you're looking at the balance sheet? Cause I imagine a lot of other companies are in very different situations. And it seems like you also did, I, you've seen sales that, that grew as a result of, mm-hmm. of, of where we are right now, but how has that changed your general philosophy, your strategy? How are you approaching all that? Yeah, I don't think it's fundamentally changed our philosophy overall, but I think that's also because we went into this wanting to build a sustainable business for the long term, which meant that I think from the get-go, we were always very focused on unit economics. Um, What's the path to profitability, ensuring that we're able to deliver product market fit? So I don't think it's changed anything from that front. I think maybe the one aspect that has changed is, you know, as we think about the outlook, um, there's still a lot of uncertainty out there. There's that uncertainty over what's going to happen with the economy. There's uncertainty over, is there going to be a second wave and how would that impact both the economy as well as consumers? I think consumers still also have a lot of uncertainty over jobs and the overall economic environment. So what we're trying to do is just create one, um, maintain as many options for us as possible. Um, I think you're always better off if you've got options in front of you. So trying to preserve that to the extent that we can, I think similar to a lot of other businesses, um, creating that flexibility, flexibility from a runway standpoint. So how do we be really diligent and responsible about where we're actually spending and making sure that we're spending into responsible growth so that we've got a a runway ahead of us that um, is able to carry us through all the uncertainty that could be ahead. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that wraps up the questions I have, Jimmy. This has been really fascinating. Thank you so much for for chatting. I really appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate it. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode. And if you know someone who would enjoy the Modern Retail Podcast, a cat person maybe, let them know and send them a link, please. The more people that listen, the better. Thanks, everyone. Have a great one.